Welcome to this topical life. Real conversation, real exploration, real life stories. A discussion about life, cause life ain't a vacation. And now, here's your host, Tiffany Murphy. All right, and welcome to this topical life. Today we have a special guest, and you know all of my guests are special. This one is Christine Borchert. And let me tell you, we have a very um, interesting topic that is coming to life right now. Um, that, well, life, well, funny I mentioned life, um, because actually we're going to be talking about death. And, um, and not in the way that you think. It's, this is just such a, I'm really looking forward to this conversation because we actually know someone mutual, Christine and I, and it's her sister-in-law. And so uh, Shelly Sokolowski was on the podcast and she was the one that did telepathistry. Um, she's the artist. Anyway, so long story short, here we are. And um, we are uncovering some things that you might have never really thought about, but I think in the light of COVID-19 and just death being part of what's on people's minds and also what are people dealing with and families and friends and um, children and all the whole shebang. And so Christine is here to unfold what, what exactly what she does and um, her job and everything like that. I will say that, uh, you know what, why don't you just go ahead and start, introduce yourself and what the name of your company is and all that kind of stuff. You bet. Thanks okay. for having me, Tiffany. This is going to be fun. Yes, yes. Everybody, everybody says, isn't that, isn't that so depressing to be an end-of-life doula? Isn't that depressing? And I say, I feel more alive and more grounded in life when I'm doing my death work than in any other time of my day. So we're going to have a conversation today. Yeah, yes. Absolutely. So I am uh, an end-of-life doula, and... I have three partners in our company, Evening Star End of Life Doula Services. Um, my partners are Darcy Shaver, Deanna Heggie, and Marianne Genta. Uh, we found each other about four years ago um, through a, a group of sort of alternative end of life practitioners, and four in the group were end of life doulas. And we, we were all trying to figure out how to do this. Uh, as a practice and provide this support and we just merged and melded and trust grew between the four of us and we decided to start evening star together so we could collect our resources and our energies and also doing this kind of work you really need support uh, you know we are providing support to people who are dying to their families and we need to have support as well so doing this as a team just feels really grounding and nurturing and um, powerful. So I'm really thankful for my partners and thankful for the work we're doing together at Evening Star. So how did you even come to be in the practice of what you're doing? What got inspired you to go this route just with your direction and stuff, your path? I have walked with three family members from diagnosis to death. And the first one was my mom. Um, almost 21 years ago. I was a young mom with uh, two children and I didn't really know what I was doing, but my mom was dying. She had ovarian cancer and it was a four year process. It was exhausting. Uh, and we had a lot of really good time together in that process. And after she died, um, I was left with some shame or um, great guilt that kind of sat deep in my heart about some things I had done to support her when she was dying that I wasn't really sure were things I had done. I was advised to do them, but they didn't feel quite right. And I didn't have anyone to talk through those things with. And it wasn't until I found my partners and I found this group that some of those things have come to light. So how did I get into this work specifically? It was my mother uh, and then my father, walked with my father from diagnosis to death of um, Lou Gehrig's disease. Wow. And last, my maternal aunt uh, died of pancreatic cancer. And she is really the reason I'm an end-of-life doula. She didn't have any immediate family except for me uh, who was willing to show up or able to show up emotionally for her. 
and she was a very independent person, had always taken care of herself financially and very engaged uh, with friends and in the community. But when she got that diagnosis, she was shaken to her core. She's like, how, how am I going to do this? How am I going to die? Don't, I don't have anyone who can help me because she didn't have children, she didn't have a husband or a partner. And she did not want to die in some place with strangers taking care of her. Right. So um, I spent three years flying to San Jose about every six weeks. And we'd spend a, almost a week together and just sort of catch up with how she was doing, what was on her mind, how was her treatment going, uh, and ended up being able to have her death at home, which was what she wanted. Me and two of her best friends um, were able to give her that. And it was after her death that I thought, you know, I can show up for people in this way. I, I'm not afraid of sitting bedside when somebody's dying. Um, I'm not afraid to emotionally hold space when they are processing and going through their life and trying to figure out who do they need to talk to and um, who do they need to say goodbye to. Um, that, you know, really being able to sit with someone and not needing to fix things for them. I think a lot of times people who are dying or have a terminal diagnosis and are beginning to have that realization that, yeah, I really, I guess I really am going to die. It's very hard for them to be able to express their truth because a lot of their, the people who love them don't want them to, um, admit or acknowledge that they're going to die. You know, it's, yeah. you, you hear all the language around, um, you know, don't give up, don't be a quitter. You're not a quitter, mom. Um, you know, be more positive. And if you try to, if a person who's dying tries to say what's really happening for them and their family member says, Oh, Oh, don't be so, let, let's not talk about that. That's too depressing. Or, you know, let's focus on being positive or beating this or you know, it, it, it doesn't lead to the person who's ill being able to trust that person with, with what's really happening for them. Yeah. I got to tell you, Tiffany, that is one of my deepest, deepest sadnesses that when we are with people who are dying, we aren't willing to let them just say what's happening for them. We, we don't have the ability to hold that. We haven't been, we haven't been given the experiential learning in our society of how to be with somebody who's dying and to know it's okay and to know it's part of life. Um, and so I really hope to, I really hope to help guide loved ones and family members and being able to speak their truth and hold, hold, hold space for the sadness and recognize that if you can open up your heart and feel that sadness and move through it, that there's healing on the other side and that, that healing is what end of life doulas are always gently nudging their, their clients toward. Well, there's so many questions and th things and you, we're going to talk stories first, just to give you a picture, like you want to give a picture of what it actually looks like. And that might answer a lot of questions that people might be having. Um, from my experience, I've experienced death as well, but when you're talking, I am flashing back to a friend who died about like a couple years ago and she had just entered my life. It was so crazy. And she, she was, and I didn't know, but she was dying and she didn't tell a lot of people. Yeah. And very quickly I learned that she was dying and I haven't thought about this in so long, but like right I, within weeks before she was dying, I drove out to go see her and I didn't know her timeline of death, but I knew it was getting close. And she was with living with her mom and she just, we went out in her garage and, um, you know, I'm not really a smoker, but we smoked <laughs> and she just was like, she's like, Tiffany, I can't be, I, she's like, I need to tell someone. She's just like, and she just told me a bunch of things and and she, I could just sense that she was just like kind of trapped in her surrounding a little bit because she was being so strong and she yes. just needed somebody to just like be there. And she did not barely know who I was. Um, but yet we had this amazing connection and I was like, what can I do for you? Like, who can I call to get you the help that you need in this way? Because her mom 
didn't want her to suffer and I mean, wanted her to pull through and this person was suffering and a lot of pain, you know? And so it was really hard to just, it was, I was in her life for a very short, hot minute and it was literally to get her the help that she needed at that moment. And it was weird. It was like, I totally see that. I, I walked away from that thinking, wow, like how hard it would be to be dying and trying to be strong for everyone around you because they don't want you to die. And I'm sure I can't imagine what you've seen. So that's my taste of a lot of things, but man, that really stands out. That story really stands out for me. Um, and she died, gosh, shortly, like a week later, two weeks later, something like that. I forget. It's been like a couple of years, but anyway, so let's talk about your stories. What things that you want to share with your experience and everything like that? You bet. Do you have a story that comes to mind? I will. I do. We, I um, had a client probably three and a half years ago who um, was going to go off of dialysis. She was, she was choosing to stop dialysis and her daughter had actually reached out to me. Her daughter had had a birth doula. And so mm -hmm. she understood the con once she learned there were end of life doulas, she understood the concept and she said, Oh my gosh, I need one of those and hired me to, to work with her mom. And it was really a lovely relationship. This woman was a lifelong learner. She was, she was a loved poetry and uh, she was trying to figure out what her death was going to look like. And she was really worried about how to process and be ready. And our visits were sort of magical because we had, we developed our own, own sort of um, pattern. I'd arrive, we would, we would sit quietly, we'd ring a Tibetan bowl. Uh, and then I just would ask her to let me know what was on her heart. Uh, and some days it was, some days it was, there were big questions. What's it going to be like when I die? Um, you know, things like that. And what we had decided to do was work on a, a legacy project for her. And legacy is the emotional and spiritual inheritance that you leave behind. And she decided she wanted to use letter writing as her form of legacy. And it was a really wonderful process where we walked through her life. Uh, she walked through her life and she said, you know, this person was really important to me. Uh, I learned this from this person. Um, at a really hard time in my life, this was the person that, that was important to me. And so we would, each visit, we would talk about the person and I would gather some of the main points that she mentioned and then we'd compose a letter and then I would write it for her because her writing was not, she didn't have the strength uh, to do the writing. So I would write it for her and then she would sign it and then we'd address it and put a stamp on it and mail it. And um, as we worked through her life and the people that she wanted to write to, uh, it, it was a really interesting process for her because it, in our conversations, we were able to really identify how she made a difference for those people, not just how they made a difference for her. And I think one of the things that's really powerful for people who are dying is to recognize where they have had meaning in their own lives. And by having conversations with us and reviewing life, it's called life review, um, people begin to place themselves in their lives. And they sometimes will come up with uh, the names of people that they have maybe wronged, uh, that they want to apologize to. All of that kind of emotional house, it's like they're clearing their emotional house mm -hmm. to the degree that anyone can. Um, the last person that my client wanted to write to uh, was her sister. They had a very broken relationship and periodically she'd bring up writing the letter to her sister and I'd say, well, do you want to work on that one? No, no, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. We'd work on a different letter. And that was finally the last letter that we had to write. And it took us a while because we had to be really clear about what she what her what the outcome was she wanted for that letter right she wasn't going to try to ask for some massive reconciliation uh she, there just wasn't time or energy or that just wasn't what the focus was but what was it she wanted so we were very careful in how we crafted that letter 
And, and then it was even, do you even want to mail this letter? Or does just having written it uh, made you feel different? And she says, no, I feel good about it. And I want her to have this, this message from me. It was a very positive letter. Um, and we mailed it. And you, if you could have seen the physical lightning that happened in her body when we wrote that last letter, and I wrote it out and she signed it. And we addressed it and put a stamp on it. And I was going to mail it. She just, she looked at me and she looked like a woman whose worries had been lifted off of her shoulders. We processed over the course of about three months her life and helped her place herself self in her life in such a way that she was able to, to be at peace. Um, and that was really important to her. And in fact, the last thing she said to her son-in-law before she died was, I feel so peaceful. Wow. That means, yeah. you know, you've, does that make you feel like you've done your job? Is that what the most, mm -hmm. like where you're like, okay, that is exactly what we wanted results wise for yourself. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It, along with that, while we were doing that, we were also working with uh, her family to help prepare them. Um, she had an eight year old grand grandchild and, you know, they were trying to figure out the grandchild's place in this process and in those final days. And it was just, it was a family that really wanted to do it well. They wanted to do death well and they committed to it and they had the, those conversations. And um, I, I ended up not being there when she died because the family was ready. They were ready. They had their support team in place. Um, they did a beautiful job. They called me after she died and I went over there and we just all stood around her bed and held hands and told stories um, even the eight-year-old granddaughter, she was just kind of curled up in a chair next to her mom. And, and when it was, when we were going around, around the group sharing stories, and when it got to the granddaughter, she leaned up to her mom and whispered in her ear, which, how she wanted to contribute to that sort of final honoring. And her mom shared her, what she wanted to say, you know, that was her way of being present um, you know, so helping families understand how to make this appropriate for children, for grandchildren. What I know, Tiffany, um, is that yes, that family had a good experience. They lost, they lost their mother, their grandmother, but they did it in a really honorable, um, respectful, loving, loving way. Uh, and there's now an eight-year-old child out there that has an experience around death that's not terrifying or they're not being sheltered from it because it's something so horrible. Nobody should witness it. We have to, we have to begin moving death back into the un understanding of it as a normal part of the life cycle. We have to do that. We have to. So with that, it's like you know, since I've never really heard of a death doula, I mean, I've had a birth doula, I'll tell you that. Mm -hmm. um, and usually they come in to about the time when you're preparing for the birth, right? So nine months, you start, you know, whatever. So really, it sounds like you probably get contacted around that time frame of like, okay, we saw your service. What is it that you do? Like, how does someone approach you to even start that? Like, because I'm guessing every scenario is pretty different, especially with different personalities and family members and all the kind of things. Like, what are some things that you kind of like, okay, so I'm going to call you, like I'm calling you and I'm like, Christine, this is the deal. This is what's going on. And you just, how does it happen? Like, how does it unfold for you? Do you know what I'm, do you get what I'm asking? Sure. If you okay. called us, I mean, the first thing we would be doing is listening and assessing what is it you need? Who is it that needs the support? Uh, you know, not always uh, is it the case that the person who's dying is open to our support, um, but we can support a good death or a death, a, a less a less chaotic death. Yeah. I don't know if we should say a good death. I think that's something we're trying to move away from. Death is just death, and there are going to be really hard moments, no matter how prepared you are, and there can be some really beautiful moments. Um, if you're open and you have someone to support you in that openness. Um, but if you called, we'd find out what you need and uh, begin to guide you in this. A lot of people call us because they just need a lot of education. 
They don't understand their options. They don't understand disposition. They don't understand how do I get ready? Um, mm. So much of our preparation is for that after that final breath, when you think about it, uh, or, for, or for, it's for when we can't speak. Um, advanced directives are for when you can't speak. Uh, wills are for after you're, you know, after you're dead. Um, so many of those documents are for when you are no longer able to really contribute your opinion. And we're saying there's an entire component here that nobody's addressing. We take care of the legal stuff. We take care of the financial stuff. Um, we take care of the medical stuff. But when are we preparing ourselves emotionally and spiritually for what we're going to go through? You can't just say, I just hope I don't die. I don't want to think about it. I'm not going to think about the process of dying because you are. So if we were talking, we would be um, coaching you or, or whoever you were hiring us for to, to begin to open and give them space to speak their truth and discover what it is that's really on their mind. And everyone is so different. There's no way to know what the questions are going to be. So it's very important for us to come in without any agenda, we don't come in with any checklist um, judgment. We really leave that all at the door to the, ability, to the best of our ability and find out what people need, where they're trying to go. We use something for people where we have enough time. We use something called the best three months of life plan. Mm -hmm. And that's really nice because it lets people begin to think about, okay, maybe I have a terminal diagnosis and I know I probably have three to six months where do I want to be in three months and how do I get there? And it allows them to do some big visioning and then kind of look at where they're at now and then begin to baby step themselves. It's an organizational tool. And, and you can imagine there are some people that that would really resonate with. And there are some people that would say, ah, organization planning. I don't want to do that. Yeah. So we just we have different tools that we bring out and I'll tell you, we've worked with people, um, just doing planning and conversation and we have worked uh we just worked with with a client whose mother was dying i had two phone calls with two half hour phone calls with her before her mother died that's all i never met her it was during the, the pandemic we were not able to support her in person it was all phone coaching um and those two half hour conversations completely changed the trajectory of her experience with her mother for her and for her mother in the after-death experience there's there's so much we can do in that after-death time to really pause and absorb the fact that our loved one has died and we yet we don't know that we think oh, they're dead okay call you know call the funeral home and they'll come get the body and then they're gone and you really you go from your loved one dying, which for some people is years, right? Years of a terminal diagnosis, you know, you're heading there. But after that final breath, that's a really a different reality. Uh, and we really try to encourage people to take their time. You can keep your loved one at home for 24 hours without calling anybody. Um, you know, I think about how many times I've heard the story of my mom died and I didn't make it. And I'm thinking, well, what was the hurry? Why, like, why didn't they keep your mom's body there until you got there so that you could sit there and grieve and really take into your core the fact that, she, yes, she's dead. She didn't just disappear out of life. So those are some of the things that we talk to people about. And, you know, it takes courage. But luckily, we know that the people who reach out to us are courageous people. Um, and... So if we have a sense that something needs to be brought up, we'll bring it up and give people some food for thought. Uh, we, we, have, we, we laugh a lot because we say that, that um, we, we need to create a list of frequently unasked questions yes. because people don't even know what to ask. Sure. You're basically so. reading their mind before they actually know what mm -hmm. their mind is saying. Yeah. I can't imagine. How many years have you been doing this? Exactly. Uh, I did my training as this September will be five years. I did wow. my training in Nelda, which is the international end of life doula uh, um, association in um, New Jersey. And I was their first trained and certified doula. And I just actually got recertified with them. So 
it's it's a process of learning and doing the work and um you know we're constantly my partners and i are constantly taking opportunities to get more education and um understand different things for example two of us just went to berkeley um in the spring in, in actually in february before this all before everything shut right down right before it just yeah i know right to in the learn, time. Uh, yeah to learn about um supporting people using uh you know the the medical aid and dying laws um those are planned deaths that uh need to be supported and we can we can we support anyone's death we don't judge people's death so whatever somebody needs um, we're able to go there and help them but it was really a good broad overview from the medical community standpoint about how medical aid and dying um developed and how it works and best practices so uh, we're just always trying to grow our knowledge uh, get educated so i guess you, how someone will come to us is varied it's who comes to us is varied it's right. generally there's somebody in the family who says i want this experience to be as good as it possibly could be and how do i do it so they're doing some research they're the people that are open to learning and hearing new ideas. Somebody in the family has reached out to us who has that and they, they bring our coaching to the family. So have you seen like, you know, a, a, a lot of death has a lot to do with wills and who's going to get what and all that kind of stuff. The tension starts to rise maybe for some, like, have you witnessed, I mean, it would have, it would be so nice to have a death doula come into it because I think people go straight. Some people go straight to the money or straight to the, right. the, like the technical parts of what's going to actually happen. And then this family feud ends on for years because of something that happened within days or right after someone dies. Do you watch that? Have you seen that? Like people just like all of a sudden just tear apart because of a death and you're putting it together or or is it more of a preventative? Like how, what do you? I would say it's preventative. We definitely do not get involved um, sure. with, with counseling. So I guess, you know, one of the interesting things, Tiffany, is what we are not. So end of life doulas are not uh, medical providers. We are not counselors. We're not lawyers. Uh, we're not financial planners. Um, we're end of life educators, planners, and coaches. So that is what we do. And if there is a situation that we um, are not trained for or prepared for, one of our jobs is to encourage people to get that, get that support. Um, we've, we've been asked if we would mediate uh, within families and we said, no, that's not our, <laughs> you know, that's not our skill set. Um, you're like, oh, well, you're not part of the family. So could you just be come in and, oh God. Right. Oh. What we do do though is is a lot of role modeling. Um, you know, we were at a planned death that was really intense, and we had done a lot of good work with this family, and we went together. A team of us went, and really, we just kind of sat in the back of the room because it's not our person. It is not our place to be up front and center. Like, a, you know, I don't want you to think that when you hire a death doula, you're hiring somebody to just come in and like take over and, you know, be the, oh, you know, the lights come out. Yeah, we have a death doula. Our goal always <laughs> is to help the family be as prepared as they can be. And then for us to be like that second or even third, um, tier of support and so at that planned death we really sort of sat in the back and held space really hard for them and every once in a while one of them would kind of pop out of the circle that was around the bed and they just would come sit by us or um, get a hug and uh, you know I think us being able to be there and be calm and see what was going on it let them be calm because if if there was something going on that was not okay or that was worrying us, we would have been able to say something and then they would have known. So just to be that grounding presence of, yes, this is hard and yes, this is normal uh, and you're doing a good job is the kind of support that we can give people in those really intense times. Um, I think a lot of people come to us because they have seen families be torn apart 
and they don't want that for theirs. And a lot of that comes from lack of communication. Mm. Um, and in that communicating, again, that comes back to the kind of the first thing we talked about, right? It's like, if you can open the doors to true, genuine communication, then the family d has a better experience. Um, you know, if the, if the person ends up all of a sudden in the hospital and they haven't really talked to the family about what their wishes are for care and all of a sudden you're in the hospital and you have the family members, you know, one person saying, but this is what mom said she wanted. And the other person say, but I don't care. This is what I want. You, It's so hard on people. So for us, it's having conversations. It's being clear. It's giving people the courage to speak what they want, put it in writing, share it. We'll do a lot of role modeling with people, let them practice saying what they want, which makes it easier for them to say it out loud to their loved ones. You know, probably your friend um, was able to open up to you because you weren't a family member and you weren't so close. Yeah. I yeah. think that's one of the reasons people appreciate having an end of life doula around. We're not carrying anybody's emotional stuff, right? We're, we are able to just be there and see them yeah. and, and listen without needing to do anything. And, and, and people need that. I mean, it, they absolutely do. I mean, it's just like this fragment in time that is so essential you know, in someone's life. I mean, up at the very end, man, I mean, it, yeah, I, I never, I, yeah, I never, I was going to say too that, um, back when you were talking about, you know, you can have the body there for 24 hours after, I didn't know that actually. I mean, I, I kind of knew that, but I didn't know how many actual hours or whatever, but, um, my sister got married last year and, um, and shortly after that, she was like the last one to get married out of all of us out of five. And, um, my mom, you know, she was just like, you know, like after a wedding, it's like, whew, a lot of going on. Right. Well, we come back, she comes back and I'm in, we're in Austin, Texas at the time. And she comes back to Dallas and some of my family follow her back to Dallas. And then three days later, it was, no, it was like two days later, my grandfather died and she was taking care of him at the time. Um, like she wasn't there when he actually died. Her sister was, he went to take a nap, never woke up. Right. Well, long story short, just tr completely traumatic. And, and it still is very difficult to wrap our brains around. I think, um, because of that, of just the sudden for her, especially and her mom dying previously to that as well. So it's like two deaths and a short amount of time and then a wedding as well. And, Anyway, so what was interesting was, is that my biological mom also passed away. And one thing I've noticed about myself is that I like to see the person gone. Like that's important to me. And I didn't know why. And until, because I wasn't able to see my mom, my biological mom after she died, but, she, but with my grandpa, um, she, he was there for a little while and she sent, and I was just like, can you just send me a picture of him? Because he was still in bed and stuff. And, oh, it's still just, and I, it hit me. This is what's so crazy is that it hit me so deep because, and I realized what I needed and that was, um, to see him gone showed me how much he was alive. It was weird. It was trippy. It was like, cause he was, he didn't look like himself. He looked like a, a shell of someone and who I know of him was so far beyond a human body that it was like, it just, Oh, I could just cry thinking about it because it was like, God, I really miss him. But, um, I didn't expect to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> but it was so bizarre. Cause I was like, I just, 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 it was like an honoring. It was like, you know, of course I was in Oregon and, he, and she, he was in Texas, but it was just like, thank God we had the camera, you know, just, just to see that. Like, I just saw his life, like who he was, was not his body. You know, I don't know if that hits people, if you've seen that before, but with people, is that something you've seen before or it's something that you've trained to know? 
with that experience? We know that that's important. We know that that deep understanding of them not being there anymore is important. And, you know, there are different um, faith groups that have different beliefs. Um, I think it's the Buddhists want to keep the body for three days. They believe it takes three days for the spirit to leave the body. Uh, everyone has sort of different ideas. I, I just think for us emotionally, for our healing, we need to be able to sit at the bedside with our person dead for it to become, begin to become real. Um, I mean, I learned so much stuff when I started doing this training, Tiffany, there are people who are home funeral guides and I don't know if you've ever heard of that. That would be an interesting uh, interview for you. Home funeral guides actually uh, bring in um, dry ice packs and they cool the body and they set up, families will set up um, sort of a altar. They'll, people will bring flowers and photographs and they'll sit around, they'll sing, they'll tell stories, they'll read prayers, they'll just talk. And, you know, it's, it's how we used to do death. I mean, that's what the parlor yeah. was for. The parlor was where we, our dead rested before we buried them. And the family, you know, sat vigil and um, it became real. Uh, you know, and that for some people, that's just too much to fathom and that's okay. But I think it's also okay to just understand there is no hurry. Like when your person leaves the home is when you are ready. And uh, I've even been in situations where half the family's ready and half the family's not ready. So what and do you do in that? Then I just let the family know it's not time. And okay. stay with with the person that still needs their time with the dead dead person, and just be there and hold that space for them so they can process. Yeah, it, it's it's so interesting. So basically, essentially, you walk into a situation, or you're invited into a situation, mm -hmm. and you don't really technically know what's going to be hit you. I mean, you literally every case is different. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, what's the shortest amount of time you've been with a family and what's the longest amount of time you've been with a family? Because it sounds like you're also with families afterwards dealing with what you've tried to prepare before dealing with after. Like I read somewhere on your page that you have services where you can talk to them continually. Like they can call you anytime or they can, you know, during, I don't know, or around that time during the process or after the process, like how, how short and how long have you been with someone the shortest we've been with some someone was this uh, woman whose mother just died during the pandemic um she had been aware of us and her mother was not doing well but she didn't really know her mom was dying until about two weeks before her death oh. um when the doctors finally said you know <laughs> this is this is well, they didn't even really say it um and, and our our client is an er doctor tiffany so just think about that. An ER doc who couldn't, didn't know the signs or couldn't see the signs of where her mom was going. I just think there's something so interesting in there. And, you know, the fact that the doctors, that they weren't having a, any conversations with her. But the more, when I did talk to her, she was saying, my mom did not want to talk about this. My, my mom was not open to talking about this. Um, and so when she finally had moved her mom home and she was, she was explaining to me what her mom was doing, which was not much. She was pretty much um, nonverbal and, and home in the bed. And she was saying, I'm just so tired. I just need to go to sleep. And I said, you know, I know your mom didn't want to talk about this very much. I said, but I really want to encourage you to go sit by her. And I want you to express to her what you've learned from her, what are the lessons, what are the life lessons she has given you? What are the strengths she's given you and how are you going to take those forward? I want you to let her know that you will remember her after she dies. If you can do that for her, you are giving her a gift that could ease her, her dying because that is one of the existential things that starts to cause anxiety for people in those final days, they really realize, okay, I really am going to die. And I have no idea if I'm going to be remembered. So when I talk about the legacy work, like we did with our first client, 
that's why this is so important. You've spent some time figuring out how to leave your messages and your wisdoms to the people that you love. Um, and so this family hadn't had that opportunity. And I, I said, please, please, before you go to bed, just sit by her and share some of these things from her, what you've learned from her and how you will remember them, how they will play out in your life moving forward. She'll need to hear that. I said, and if you can just curl up in bed with her, um, and she did both of those things. She, she had called me saying, I'm so tired, I need to go to bed. And instead she went and she sat with her mom and she talked to her and talked to her about what she'd learned from her, what strengths she was carrying forward, how she was gonna remember her in her regular life. And then she just curled up, up with her in bed and she died a few hours later. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. I mean, she, she would have missed that. Yeah. Well, what a gift and, to the doctor too. I mean, she might not know it in that moment, but she will in the months following. Right. She, and, she knows it. She, she knew it the next morning when, when she called, when she called me, she said, well, <laughs> this is what happened, you know? And also in the last, the last thing I said to her was when she dies, do not call the funeral home right away. Uh, if there's somebody that needs to come see her, see, you know, make time, create space for them to come see her. And a number of people did come to sit by her body. I encouraged her to consider washing her mom's body as sort of a final gesture. Um, and she did that. They had caregivers there and she invited the caregiver to help her wash her mom's body. And she just said that was one of the most powerful things she's ever done. Uh, it's Wow. Really interesting. I've been involved with a number of the body washings, uh, coaching them. I can't, we can't do them in Oregon. Oregon has some funky laws. Um, we cannot provide support for families if, if it involves touching, take, caring for the bodies. It's something the, I don't know, for funeral home, funeral homes got passed like 10 years ago. Um, but I can coach people. And so just being able to, you know, suggest how they do it and how to pre help prepare the water and put the scented oils in it and the washcloths. And it's watching, I watched two daughters shave their dad. He was 98 and he had died and they were watch, washing his body and watching them shave him and talk to him, you know, and daddy and, you know, their hands on the side of his face and, both of them looked at us after they were done and they said, I will never be the same again. That was so healing. So, you know, who knew? Um, everybody gets to do what is right for them. All we're going to do is say, this is an option. Um, consider this. Some people do this. And then people get to choose their own way through this. Well, and it sounds too that a lot of your job is validating what people are going through. I mean, I, know, I am totally all about that. Like, is this normal? Is, am I, when I'm feeling, is this normal? Is this normal? Is this normal? <laughs> Anything yeah. to know that I'm normal, like, because it's just so, such an abnormal thing. And yeah, I don't know. I would question everything. So yeah, just being that voice of like, yeah, I've, this is, this is normal. You're okay. Like, this is what, you know. Yeah, that's got to be so huge for so many people. So, and then what is like a longest thing where, how long have you communicated with someone after they have passed as far as like can, keeping in touch with the family or anything like that? Um, so what we do is we offer um, eight to 12 weeks after the death, a reprocessing visit. So we really aren't post-death counselor again we're not counselors right right and our job is to help families be ready for that period before the final breath okay. um so that period after is a, a time period where people are well you know uh, after death your your brain isn't working very well and things are hard to comprehend and um you know if someone reaches out to us we'll talk to them a little bit help help normalize what's happening to them uh, but what we do do is a um, 
yeah, a reprocessing visit eight to 12 weeks after the death. And that's an opportunity to bring together anyone who was present at the death, what the doulas as well as the family members to just kind of revisit the experience and see if anybody has anything that they're questioning or doubting or they're not sure if they did it right or because those doubts that people carry, I honestly think that there are so many people in this world walking around with secret hurts and shames that they haven't had brought out into the light because they don't know who to say it to and they don't know who to how to bring it out because they don't they're afraid of being judged and we don't talk about death and what's normal and so people hold things in and that is one of my main goals is to get people to talk about the experience and if there's something that's bothering them have a safe place to speak it and put it into some perspective reframe it for them um and and it's interesting one of our reprocessing visits we just had it was it was heavy. It was really, really heavy. Um, there was a moment where somebody said something funny that, that the person who died had said in the, those last few hours. Uh, and everyone just said, wait, what? They said that? And then somebody else said, well, yeah. And they also said this in the morning. And everybody else said, wait, they said that. And pretty soon they were all sharing these little tiny quips and funny things that the person had said on that day. And so in this heavy hour of, of trying to come together and reprocess the death, there was all of a sudden this, this tiny moment of lightness and lifting because we were all able to remember who this person had been and that, that humor and that remembering kind of brought everybody back to that. That's amazing. That's so cool. I mean, I can't, I mean, there's like a million questions in my head I could ask you like because you probably have so many stories and you know, you want to, I want to like ask all the questions like, okay, what do you do if this happens or if this happens or what if you do that? I mean, there's just so many scenarios, you know, but like it's, it sounds too that you had struggled with um, when you're, loved one had passed away that your, your mom, especially just sure. having the, some shame and guilt of some things that you weren't sure about that maybe that propelled you to be that person for somebody else, which I think is really cool to use that, you know, um, that gift that you clearly have. Um, sounds like you're a really sensitive, um, deep feeler, you know, that can help people in this way. Right. I mean, geez, I mean, and also so awesome that you have a team there too. I imagine a lot of debriefing happens after, do you have like mandatory ways of dealing with it too? Like, where maybe you might want to shy away from a situation, but they're like, Hey, we need to talk about this. I mean, I don't know. I like, I have quite a few friends who are therapists and they see every good therapist sees a counselor of their own. I truly believe that. Um, so that accountability almost, does that, is that help you keep, stay afloat? Like how do you take care of yourself in this process? Because I imagine you see a lot or you're yes. used to, I don't know, like, I don't know, describe that process for you. Yeah, no, you, you don't get used to it. Uh, it is incredibly sacred space when someone is willing to let you hold their fears and their heart. Mm -hmm. um, and what I have learned for me personally is uh, I have to have equal recovery time mm -hmm. to the time that I have served. Um, and I'm, I'm, my brain doesn't work very well once I'm done. And uh, I have to just go sit, sometimes get my feet in the grass, um, you know, be out in nature, be by some water. And it, it takes me a while to um, come back into my body. You know, when you're holding space for somebody and actively, you know, using deep, active listening to find out what's really happening for them and, and giving them the, the bits of you know, the tiny nudges or the bits of information that will help them come into themselves and ground and feel confident, it's really intense. Um, but... 
yeah, it takes me equal time to recover. Um, and I am so thankful for my partners. We always know when one of us is going in, especially if it's a um, highly charged situation, uh, we definitely have somebody kind of on backup. And, you know, if we ever needed to step out and phone, phone one of the partners and just get some support, um, we know we can do that with each other. We have been often providing support in teams. Mm. Um, and that's, that's not any extra cost. It's just, if we can, we'll send two people. Um, because we all come from really different backgrounds. Our trainings are different. You know, who we were before we were end of life doulas is really different. Our life experience around death is really different. And so how we assigned partners to the new clients kind of depends on who that client is. Yeah, you know, it seems like there's always kind of the, a right fit. We know who should be the lead doula and who may be the right partner for, and support person for them um, from our team. Um, That's huge. Yeah. That's huge it, because I could basically we, call you up and be like, hey, this is what we're going through. Give me someone. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, that's amazing yeah. to have a team to choose from like yeah. that. That's huge. It, it, it's a blessing. and And I will say that end of life doula work has always presented as very high touch in-person work. Uh, we travel to people, we travel to their homes to, we can, we can provide support in a hospital, in an assisted living, in a private home. Um, and so when the pandemic hit, all of a sudden everything we've built our belief system around for our business is, well, how are we going to provide, do what we do if we can't be in person? And I have to tell you, we have gotten three clients since the pandemic hit and all of our support is via Zoom and phone. It's highly effective. And uh, we're really actually, it's kind of liberating to recognize that we can support people uh, in this virtual way. Is it the same Probably not, especially if what somebody needs is us sitting bedside so that they can go take a nap, right? Mm. Um, that we can't do right now. Uh, but still, if we can help people with that emotional space to just speak their truth and be real and be heard, and then maybe come up with a couple of next steps to help them sort of right their ship, uh, we can absolutely do that virtually. So, you know, the pandemic is, is such a, challenging time for us right now in the world and um i think for our business it has shined a bit of a new light on how we can do our work and the fact that we can be more creative and have a broader reach than we had anticipated so uh, if i'm going to say i'm thankful for anything coming out of the pandemic it's that awareness I, I'm glad I'm not going to be limiting or having limiting understanding of how we can do our work. So, yeah, well, and honestly, I think one thing that you really have going for you is a team really, because in a, if virtual situation and there's multiple people that can be, you know, available, that was a good fit is huge considering you can't be with that person physically. Like, I just think that's amazing. Have you had, um, you said three, but like normally do you work out of just Oregon or have you traveled far or like, I mean, now that you're doing it virtually, nothing's off limits, but are you used to doing it more in person? Like, is this a local <clears throat> thing or have you traveled parts of Oregon or how does this usually look for you? We've, we have um, clients from Vancouver to um, McMinnville, uh, to, um, almost as far as, uh, Corvallis. Wow. So we, if it's the right situation and we have the, the manpower and the time, uh, we will travel, but we, we are starting to make some really good uh, friendships of some new, um, providers of end of life doula support, uh, in Bend. There's a wonderful group of people doing this work. Um, the Bay Area has a lot of amazing people. Seattle has a lot of amazing people. So, you know, we're able to sort of help people find someone close to them if that's what they need. Or we aren't set up to travel outside of sort of the, you know, greater Portland metro area if we're yeah. doing the in-person support. 
Right. Well, I mean, there's just, again, there's so many (laughs) thoughts and stuff. Um, You, so have you, you've done Zoom calls with people Mm -hmm. you've had the services it's available so really anyone listening could technically reach out to you technically could yeah um yeah I mean if you're available you're available you know I mean I don't yeah it's such a it's death man I um it is such a heavy, heavy topic. I, I didn't expect to have all these thoughts come to my head as far as personally, but like it does creep up, you know, I haven't really, well, I mean in the pandemic too. Okay. So let me ask you this. Uh-huh. So in kind of wrapping all of this up and tying a nice bow on it, you know, in light of the pandemic and I know people are thinking about life after death and they're scared or what would happen if I did get the virus or, you know what, we're actually going to start looking into life insurance. So what do we want our deaths to look like? Um, you know, Brian, and I actually, we went and did, um, our life insurance and stuff like that. And we had a big disagreement on how we both were going to die. <laughs> it's important conversations to have. And the lawyers sit in the room and we're just like, wait, what did you just say? Wait, what, what, what did you say? You know, like having the conversations and you know, this kind of thing. I think it's so valuable to know you're in this atmosphere of that because I know for me personally, I would take a doula in a heartbeat, um, or two or three, you know, um, the, it's just, you can't put a price tag on that kind of thing. There's just no price tag for that. But for someone who might not be able to, that doesn't even know they're about to approach death or that it could be happening anytime soon. What are some things that death is inevitable for all of us at some point? What are some takeaways that you could say to us right now, just of, and, and all the experiences that you have gone through to prepare or to acknowledge, what would you say to us? I mean, is that kind of a loaded question for you? It's a perfect final question. Okay. So question. So one of the things we say is that people die how they've lived. Um, And I, and I think we, we see it play out regularly that that is, that that is true. And So if someone wanted to um, have a death that was not as chaotic and that didn't have maybe the emotional anxiety that you might start to feel if you start thinking about dying, there's some things that you can do. Um, We have a teacher we love. His name is Stephen Jenkinson. And uh, in his, there's a documentary about him called Grief Walker. And in it, he says, when people are dying, one of the last things they think about, they say to themselves, you who say you love me, how are you going to carry me? And what he means is all of a sudden you're realizing I'm going to die and I have no idea how I'm going to be remembered. And that causes people a lot of existential um, turmoil uh, because we haven't prepared for that. So two things that we can do. Two things. Two things, you guys. Two things. Number one, start finding ways to honor and remember you're dead. Start role modeling that for your family today. Tell a story. Pull down a picture and talk about where it came from, what was happening. Talk about people who have already died and begin telling stories about them, place them in the chronology of how did I become me and how does that then be part of you? So remembering our dead, whether that's with an altar, with storytelling, with trips, whatever, going through art collections, going through record collections, whatever it is that spurs that, that remembering and the storytelling, find a way that is your way that represents you or represents that person to tell those stories. Because when you start to remember you're dead, you know you're role modeling that for the people around you. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay. When I die, my people will know how to remember me because I've shown them 
hmm. how to do that. The other thing is to really consider how you can leave in, in, in a form that a person can engage with some type of legacy. And I think a lot of us think, well, I don't have to do legacy. I'm only 30. I'm only 40. I'm only 50. I'm only 60. You know, I, every one of those groups thinks they're still going to live another 30, you know, 30 to 60 years. So why do they need to do it yet? They need to do it now uh, because tomorrow's not guaranteed. And one of the beautiful parts of legacy work is that if you leave something that somebody can engage with that is your wisdom, that is your story, they can have a continually evolving and developing relationship with you after your death. Wow. So, for example, my dad wrote his life story. He was writing his life story when I was, after my mom died, when I was a young mother, I was busy chasing kids around and driving them everywhere. And my dad wrote his life story. And he was, he worked really hard on it. And I don't think I expressed any appreciation for what he was doing other than, oh, well, dad's writing story, you know, whatever. I have to tell you, he died uh, 16 years ago. And Tiffany, every time I pull that book out and I read even two pages, I change how I think about my dad. And the reason it's different is because I've changed. Every year I change. Wow. So the, the story he wrote or the language he used is going to hit me differently because I'm different. Mm. That's amazing. So anything that you can do, uh, whether it's video journaling or writing something, uh, writing poetry, planting a garden and writing why you put in that, you know, why, why are these plants in this garden? Why do these matter to you? I, I wrote a blog. It's on our website uh, recently. Actually, it was right when the pandemic started and all of a sudden people were staying home and they're like, I don't know, you know, what do I do? And I said, walk, start walking around your house and look at things that matter to you and get out a pen and paper and write down why this thing matters to you. Not just who you want it to go to. Don't just plaster somebody's name on the back. Write down why this thing is important to you and somehow attach it to the back. You don't have to decide who it's going to. Just do that so that if something happened to us, because we know tomorrow's not a guarantee, we know that we have left what matters to us with a message, with messages tucked away that people can, can interact with and engage with moving forward after our death. So find a way to leave your wisdom. And wisdom is where did you learn your lessons? Where did you learn the hard lessons? Usually it's a hard time in life where we learn the big lessons, right? Pain. Pain is gain. Yeah. yeah. How, what did I learn? How did it change me? Why do I do the things I do? Why do I always say that thing I always say? Well, because so-and-so used to say it or, right? Like, where did you learn that? Why is that important to you and you still use it? Um, if you can begin to capture some of that in, in any kind of format that people can engage with after your death, then on the moment of your death, whether it's expected or unexpected, you're going to know that you'll be remembered. Wow. That is powerful for sure. Christine. Um, yeah. You've given me a lot to think about personally, honestly, like my mind is kind of racing, honestly. Um, I'm sure for anyone listening to it's, this is a subject that has to be approached and looked at and it doesn't have to be scary. Like mm -hmm. it's actually super honoring. And if you've lost, you know, what I'm talking about. Um, and if you haven't, what a gift to know this information because you're saving, you could save yourself from a lot and you can also gain a lot, um, into it, you know, a lot of knowledge and wisdom and, and just love, you know, um, it's deep connection. Yeah. The deeper, the deeper we can connect with the people who matter to us. I mean, that's, that's all that matters. We all know that. Um, but these conversations and these projects and the storytelling, you're like, what if you're doing a scrapbook with your, your loved ones, right? Uh, and all of a sudden, everybody's bringing the photos in and you're putting them together and the stories start to, 
to come out. You know, when someone has a terminal diagnosis, it's so, what we do is so dishonoring. They become their disease. They become symptom management. They become a schedule. They, all of these things that we have accepted as how we do death care or how we care for someone who's ill, nobody is standing right there also saying, and step deeply into relationship, step deeply into storytelling, step deeply into a life well lived. Because every time you do that, you let everyone return back to that, you know, feeling of being a human and connect connection. And that's what, that's what matters. If you can nurture that within your family, things go a little, little easier. Wow. Well, Christine, you've given us a lot to think about and, um, I feel so blessed to even have had this conversation with you. Um, this has been a long, long conversation happening um, in, in planning, you know, um, and then the pandemic kind of threw a, no a notch into our plans and here we are. So um, thank you so much for coming on here and talking with us. And um, if you have any questions or anything like that, she's, Christine is totally available as, and her team as well. And I'll be posting, um, website and at her Facebook page as well, um, where you can get all the information you need and that kind of thing. So let, let me, I'm letting you know that that it will be available. Um, yeah, I guess that's it. Christine, thank you so much for coming to talk with us and, um, and your wisdom and everything like that. So I'm so glad we made it happen. It was a long time coming, but yes, it, it was, was really great talking to you and thank you for the work that you're doing. Um, getting people's story out into the world. Again, that storytelling, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to stop. The, I'm going to stop the recording, but I'm still going to talk to you real quick. So um, everyone else out there, have a great week. Have a great, great, whatever's coming your way. Okay. Um, take care. You've been listening to this topical life with Tiffany Murphy available through Podbean, iTunes, and Google Play. Look for us on Instagram and Facebook. Donations to help support this topical life can be made through Patreon at patreon.com front slash this topical life. Likes and comments are always appreciated. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time for more real conversation, real exploration, real life stories on this topical life because life ain't a vacation.